Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the Gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the City of Lagos and beyond renewed by the Gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Good morning, church. Um, Today's Bible reading will be taken from Mark chapter 6, verses 6b to 13. When I am done reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Then Jesus sent them out two by two from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra shirt. When you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, Please leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. Not to fool me, thank you. <laughs> However, I plan to preach a really cute sermon, though, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, good morning, everybody. Um, okay. Uh, I feel it will be um, borderline sinful if I don't um, congratulate you guys on making it to the finals. All right. Um, <laughs> congratulations, Nigeria. Congratulations, City Church. Um, why? Because I'm not really a football fan anyway. So, but I started observing something from this Wednesday. I, again, like I said, I'm not really a football person, but I was just seeing a lot of things. and. I really think football is a gift to us. Um, the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from God, the Father of light, in whom there is no shadow of turning. For once, at least, it wasn't me against you. It was me and you against the world. The world being Africa now, right? <laughs> and um, again, football is a gift. I just wish that Last year, during our elections, I just wish that we felt like the cross, Christ, the gospel could unite us the way football did. And um, I've been thinking, is, is Jesus jealous, you know? The Bible says that God is a jealous God. Does he feel like, man, these people rate football more than they rate me? Um, 
imagine if me and all I told my good friend there, we start fighting. And then another friend of ours that we do not rate, like Tomiwa, comes to divide us and say, no, you have to be united. We could slap him and continue the fight. Why? We don't rate him. When Pastor Femi comes, we rate him above our division. So we're going to unite. What if we rated the gospel above our political stances? If there's anything that this period shows, you know last year when we were saying, I can't move with that person because of his political leanings. That's obviously a lie. You can. If you find something that you rate higher, called football. You can. And by the way, did I tell you I was preaching a cute sermon today? <laughs> uh, um, I hope and pray and long for a time when we will be able to forgive people for, at least in your own opinion, their seemingly stupid political stances and lay it all aside in the name of the gospel, in the name of the church, in the name of Christ. Let us pray. Lord, your children taught us in Sunday school. They said, God has something to say to you. God has something to say to you. Listen, listen, and pay full attention, for God has something to say. Your word says, he that has and hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church, because it's possible for us to have ears and be unable to hear. And so, God, we ask for every ear, we ask for the power to hear. For every eyes, we ask for the eyes to see you. For every hands, the hands to do. For every legs, the legs to go and do your bidding in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for this atmosphere, God. Let it be charged with your power. Let it be charged with your glory. Let it be charged with the effectiveness of your word for rebuke, correction, instruction unto righteousness. That we may be perfect, lacking nothing. One more thing, Lord. God, I beg. We don't make mouth. Please, 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 please. Don't shame us this, this today in the name of Jesus. And the church said? Amen. All right, all right. I still want us to win. I still want us to win. <laughs> um, in case you're watching with us for the first time, my name is Tommy Olarewaju, right? I'm one of the guys on the preaching team. Um, that's why this is happening, right? Obviously. Um, before we go into the text, I just want us to, I want to, say, I want to give an analogy that, I, that I'm, I believe will actually help as we begin to consider the text that is before us. Um, this is very, very subjective, but um, I really don't think it's possible for you to have a good vacation as long as in your parents' house. I don't think it's possible. You see, um, I grew up in Laurier and I remember one time, you know, it's the end of the term, it's Friday, we're singing this popular song. Holiday is coming, right? Holiday is coming. What's it? No more? Yeah? No more what? Goodbye, teachers. Goodbye, scholars. Right? We are going on a jolly holiday. Holidays are meant to be jolly. Goodbye to teachers that tension us. Goodbye to scholars that pressure us. That no matter how hard we work, we'll never get first position. Goodbye to all of them. Why? Holidays are a time of little to zero responsibility, and we want to embrace it. 
And but that's not what happens in the Larry family. You see, what my mom does, she says, ah, these children are back for vacation for holiday. She'll go and buy bags of beans, right? And so she will apportion it throughout the vacation, one, one hour per day. And so you pick beans and you put them inside this yellow jerry can. Do you know the jerry you want some 25? Yeah. And then you put some powder inside to store the beans. Right? That's what we used to do. Um, again, the problem with vacation is not my mom, it's not my dad. You see, my dad is, um, is a handyman. When I mean handy, I don't mean they pay him to do, no, he just, he likes to make stuff. He likes to fix stuff. He likes to create stuff. Uh, an example would be, if there's a plumbing issue in the house, my dad would call the plumber. And when the guy is working, we stand beside him and be watching everything. As the guy is going, we can buy all the instruments that the guy used, so we never call him back again. That's what my dad is. <laughs> he fixes stuff himself. Great guy. Great guy. He loves to build stuff. And so it was, I said, two third time. Um, I was expecting, you know, vacation. And um, I was home. And my dad had this brilliant idea that he wants to start to read Turkey. Tolu, tolu, Turkey, yeah. <laughs> now, for you to read Turkey, you need Turkey houses. Now, a typical man, you buy the Turkey, call the carpenter, make the house. No, 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 not my dad. Mm. He went to the market, bought wood, bought nails, bought armor, bought net, bought everything. 6 a.m. the next day, started hearing somebody drilling nail into wood. 6 a.m. As a good teenager, I ignored him for five minutes before my home training kicked in, so I knew that I was supposed to go out to help him. Do you know this thing that happens where, I don't know if it's a cultural thing, maybe Yoruba thing, where your parents want you to do something. They will not tell you to do it. They will go and start doing it. Right? Good. Now, if you have sense... All right. You know that. So I went to meet my dad. I said, oh, let me help you. Now, as a typical Yoruba man, what will he say? Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm just exercising. Now, and the dance begins. Me too, with a typical Yoruba boy, says, no, bring it. Then he says again, don't worry. It's just exercise. It did not have born you well. Don't ask the third time. Right? So now, the way you ask the third time is you ask and then you make a move to collect it from them. That's the way it works. So, I mean, like, you're from training. So, yeah, so I moved to collect it and he goes, Oh, yeah, take. <laughs> and that's how that vacation ended. All that to say that I never really enjoyed vacation until I started working with City Church. Yeah, yeah. I remember, Pastor Femi, this should reflect in my, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my first leave. So I went on leave, and Dikin um, um typed on the, group, on the group page. She said, Tommy is going on leave. Nobody should text him or ask him for anything. If you need anything, talk to me. I was like, oh, my God. I said, love language right there. You know what I said? <laughs> Why? Because vacations are meant to be periods of little to zero responsibilities. During vacations, you expect that everything... And everybody exists for your comfort, for your joy, for your pleasure, for your own entertainment. That is what happens during vacations. And I'm here to say this, City Church. As a Christian in the 21st century, you have been blessed with so many things. One thing you have not been blessed with is the luxury of living your life as if you're on vacation. And you find that in the text that is before us. Um, before we even go to the text, let me just even say this. Um, 
Lagos is a city of about 16 million people. Roughly, 16, 16, roughly, roughly. Oh, oh pastor said, <coughs> 25? 22, 22. All right. Let's say 20 for my math. My math is not that good because I'm about to do some calculations. 20 million people. <laughs> and um, I think your help at some point. Um, let's say roughly 50% are Christians. Let's say, roughly. Let's be generous and say that 40% out of the 50 are genuine Christians. We are being very generous now. Meaning 60% of people will not make it to the new heavens and the new earth if Jesus comes today. 60% of 20 is 20 million. Is how much? 10? 12. 12. Guys, that is 12 million people in Lagos alone will not make it into the new heavens and the new earth if Jesus was to come today. You have been blessed with a lot of things. What you have not been blessed with <laughs> is the luxury of living your life as if you're on vacation. You have been blessed with spouses. You have been blessed with money. Amen. You've been blessed with money. What you've not been blessed with is the luxury of living that life as if you're on a vacation. And you find it in the text. You find it in the text that is before us. You see, in Mark, we're in Mark chapter 6, right? And um, the story starts in Mark chapter 1, obviously, right? And just a quick recap. Um, Emmanuel talked about, gave an illustration, talked about how the book of Mark is like an action movie. Everything is just happening back to back to back to back. And so what happens is John the Baptist is on the scene. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Jesus goes to the wilderness. He overcomes the devil, calls some disciples, starts to preach in the synagogue. He's casting out demons. He's healing people. One time he ran away. They were looking for him because he wanted to practice silence and solitude. He came back again, kept on healing people, kept on casting out demons. There was a guy that was lame. Jesus told them, your sins are forgiven, right? Instead of saying, get, get up, take up a bed and go. The Pharisees, the leaders of the people, were angry with him. Jesus kept on teaching and preaching. Jesus kept on casting out demons. For those who do not know, one time, Jesus casted out a demon from a person, and he went into 2,000 pigs, and they died. Again, the story keeps on going back to back to back. It's full of action, full of tension. Jesus gets to his hometown. The people reject him. Did a couple of miracles there, kept on teaching, and we get to Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, the story is about to switch. All along, we've been hearing about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This time, we're about to hear about the disciples. The disciples all along have been learning at the feet of Jesus. It is now time for them to be, in quotes, world changers. And so we read in verse 7, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. Matthew 6, 7. Can I have it? All right. Calling the twelve, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Now, we're not dwelling on this verse here, but I just want to say that he sent them out two by two because the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, what will happen? The truth shall be established. So he was sending them that way so that if one person witnesses, the other person will say, yes, I was there when the thing happened. That's what's going on there. Now, move to verse 8. Verse 8. This is where we're going to come out. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Nine. Nine. Yeah. 
wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Verse 10. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Yes? And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. So again, when you are reading the text, one thing that jumps out to you is that three, Jesus asks them to pick three things. A staff, a sandal, and a shirt. Just one shirt. He then goes further to say that whenever you enter a city, wherever you are lodged, don't leave the place. In short, do not upgrade your hotel reservation. That's what's going on there. Why? These people were itinerant preachers. Itinerant preachers were people, were people that preach all around, right? So what happens is when you enter a town and you're in the market square or the synagogue or wherever people meet to share ideas, people can like what you're saying and they'll say, come and stay in my house. Now, the problem is this. So you keep on going from that person's house to the meeting place, that person's house to the meeting place. It will get to a point where another person likes your sermon and say, ah, no, that place that you're staying is not, is not fitting for the man of God. Can we upgrade you? Jesus says, don't take it. And if you read this carefully, it seems to me that essentially Jesus is saying, this isn't the time to seek out your own comfort. Don't take bag. Don't take bread. Don't take money. Don't upgrade your reservation. Don't do any of those. These are the things that we hope will happen during a vacation. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You are not on a vacation. Now, pause. I don't think these commands apply to you specifically. In fact, for the disciples, it was a one-time command. They were about to go out on mission. Jesus was giving them these commands. Jesus didn't have issues with bread, money, or bag. Jesus didn't have issues with money. He had a treasurer. Do you know how rich you have to be to have a treasurer? You think it was Judas. He had a treasurer. Jesus also didn't have issues with bread. I remember um, during this week, I saw a video that was going viral about Jesus and bread. Um, if you want to tempt a person, you don't tempt them with what they don't like. For example, you cannot tempt him with two rice. Why? Rice is not supposed to be mashed, so I'm not going to get tempted by it. Of everything that, that, that the devil could tempt Jesus with, what did he tempt him with? Bread. He didn't say turn the sand to millet or wheat. All right. No, no, no. Turn the stone to what? Bread. Why? Jesus liked bread. Why is it that when he was going to compare himself with any food in the entire world, what did he say? I am the bread of life. When it was time to multiply food for everybody, what did he multiply? Bread. At the most pivotal moment in his ministry, or one of, at the communion, what did he break? Bread. So no, Jesus didn't have issues with bread. Jesus didn't have issues with money. Jesus didn't have issues with bags. But he's giving a particular command and it is possible for you to say, oh, I'm not an itinerant preacher, so maybe the specifics of the command don't apply to me. You are correct, but the principle behind it does. Because the principle remains the same even if you are not in the position that the disciples were in. And here is the principle. The people do not exist for your own pleasure. You exist for them. The people you are going to minister to, the people you are going to encounter in the world, do not exist to make your life better or to make your life more comfortable. You exist for them. This isn't a vacation. There's a question people usually ask, where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? In the next 12 years, in the next 15 years, where do you see yourself? 
And many times, right now, we're already preparing for a journey of 15 years. And so imagine that you're on a journey, you're about to pray for a journey, and you carry your bag, and you're about to move for the next 15 years of your life. If we told you to pause, and we brought out everything that you have packed for the next 15 years, will it show us that you are going on a vacation, or will it show us you are going on a mission? Because what's the mission of City Church? To build a community of worshippers where? On mission, not on vacation. The world doesn't exist for our comfort. The world doesn't exist simply to give us the best life. Are you positioning yourself to live your best possible life here and now? Is that your goal? Is that all you're seeking, 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 looking for in life? Oh, when we get to heaven, some people will hear, Welcome, thou good and faithful servant. You have done well. Heaven is a place of rest for those that have walked on the earth. If you have done all your resting and your vacation here, what are you going to do there? This isn't your place of vacation. This isn't your place of rest. This is the place where we work. Matthew chapter 24 verse 45 to 49. Matthew 24, 45-49. I'm going to read it quickly because of time. Wow. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, we put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants. Maybe another wicked. But here's the thing. He begins to eat and drink. With the drunkards. The thing that God has given him for every other person, he decides that that's what he wants to use for vacation for himself. How many blessings has God given you that you have decided that it is simply for your own comfort, for your own upgrade, for your own flourishing? What is supposed to be your approach as a believer to the gifts of God, to the blessings of God? Are they there to make you more comfortable? Or are they there for the world? What is supposed to be your approach towards your money? Many of us have a very crazy approach. Either we spend or we save or we spend and we save. But no. What the Bible will teach you, what the mentality that the Bible wants you to have concerning your money is that you are not a spender. You are not a saver. You are a steward. Can I say that again? You are not a spender. You are not a saver. You are a steward. A steward will spend. A steward will save. But that steward will do that bearing in mind that he or she is going to give an account for the thing that they have received. They are there to work. They are not there on vacation. The blessings that God has given unto you are not, they are not your leave allowance. The blessings that God has given unto you are not there simply for you to think about and upgrade all the time so you can have your best possible life here and now. And then you might say, um, you know, see all this faithful servant stuff you're talking about, I just want to make heaven. You know, I just, I just, don't, I just don't want to lose heaven. That's all I care about at this point. 
what kind of a relationship exists when, where all you are thinking about is giving minimum, minimum effort, minimum commitment? Looks like an, a relationship between you and your horrible boss. And you're only there until the best, until a better option shows up. What kind of relationship exists where you give your maximum effort and your maximum commitment? The relationship of love. Heaven is not for those people that are managing God because there's no better option. Heaven is a place for people that actually love God and want to commit their lives to him. So many times, the way you are living your life is to seek out your own pleasure. In Matthew chapter 25, in another parable, talking about five talents, two talents, for the one that is faithful, what did, what did Jesus say? He said, the master will tell them, welcome into the joy of your master. There will be a reward for the things that you are doing. If you are working for your comfort and your progress and your fame here and now, the bad news is that you will achieve it. You will get your reward. Matthew chapter 6. Do not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray openly for they will receive their, they have received their reward. If you have received your reward for everything you are doing here on earth, there is no reward left for you in heaven. You are not on a vacation. This is a serious problem when your goal is to live your best possible life here and now. It's a serious problem. It reminds me of the prosperity gospel. The problem with the prosperity gospel was not that they were telling you that God wants to prosper you. Why? God wants to prosper you. Amen? God wants to bless you. The Bible says it's God that gives the power to make wealth. That's not the problem with the prosperity gospel. The problem with the prosperity gospel was that they were thinking of a life and they were bringing the promises that were certain in the world that is to come and bringing it into the present so you can change your best possible life here and now. So is it possible that you have rejected the doctrine of the prosperity gospel but you have embraced the spirit of the prosperity gospel? You are seeking your best possible life here and now. Oh, I don't like all those preachers that like to do people, but you are, you are embracing the spirit. They are just bold enough to say it. You aren't. You see, we don't call it the prosperity gospel. We call it progress. We don't call it the prosperity gospel. We call it financial independence by 40 so I can travel around the world. We don't call it prosperity gospel. We call it reaping the fruits of my labor. We don't call it the prosperity gospel. We call it passport privilege. We don't call it the prosperity gospel. We call it safety nets. But that is all you are working for. That is all you are chasing with your life. Just more comfort, more pleasure, more entertainment. This isn't a vacation. Me, are you against progress and comfort? No, 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 no. I want to prosper. <laughs> no, I'm not against progress and comfort. However, I am against seeking comfort and progress without giving any thought to the advancement of God's kingdom. I am against progress and comfort that consumes your mind such that the progress and comfort becomes the end in and of itself. I'm against a progress and comfort that desensitizes you in such a way that when I told you that 12 million people are going to burn in hell, it was just... It's as if your heart has been seared with the iron of comfort and progress. 
You cannot detect anything as a problem if it's not touching you. If this is all your life is about, there is no difference between us and the world. We are chasing the same thing, the same way, for the same reasons. How are we different? They can see that your hope is in where their own hope is. How are we different? No wonder they don't want to join us. How are we different? The parallel passage to Mark chapter 6 is Matthew chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 10. You must have heard this passage somewhere where, the, where Jesus said, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Now, there was a verse that comes before it that actually paints a picture. After Jesus said that the harvest is plenty, the laborers are few, that he actually sent out the disciples to go ahead and to do what is in Mark chapter 6, right? But in Matthew chapter 9, I want us to read something. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed by who? Rendered helpless by who? I think Mark paints that picture for us. If you read the book of Mark for the first time, the first thing that will jump out at you is that there are a lot of demons in this book. Mark chapter 1, verse 32, verse 34, verse 39, chapter 3, verse 11. Chapter, there's a whole chapter dedicated, chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. Chapter 6, verse 7. In fact, when Jesus was going to summarize the ministry of the disciples in Mark chapter 3, the Bible said he called them so that they can be with him, so he can send them out to go and preach and do what? And cast out demons. That, that was basic. It seems like the Bible wants to make a point to you. That if there's anybody that is harassing the world, demons are harassing the world. And there is a language the Bible uses when it comes to demons. Ephesians chapter 6, we battle not against what? Flesh and blood. We battle. That's the language. You cast out demons. The language of the demonic is, is, a, is a language of violence. You are on mission. This is war. This is not a vacation. People are being harassed by the enemy. This is war. I want to probe something. We say it a lot. There are some people that overemphasize the demonic. And some people that underemphasize the demonic. And then we go, I mean, there is no demon under every rock. True. I want to probe that statement a bit. If for the first time you are reading the book of Mark, I don't think you will come away with there is no demon under every rock. I think you will say there, there are demons everywhere. Every chapter. Demonic, 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 demonic. There are enemies in every corner. How do you see your non-Christian colleague? Do you think he's been harassed by the devil? Do you think he's been harassed by a demon? Uh, Tommy, are you saying non-Christians are possessed? I'm not seeing anything, but let's check Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit 
who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You're in Nigeria. When you see spirit and it's not only spirit, what does that mean? Demons. Demons. Do you think your colleague is being harassed by the devil or do you think he's fine because he's comfortable and progressing? And so there's no reason to talk to him because he's, he's doing exactly what you want to. Right? That's why you're not preaching. I, ah, ah, come on. Sheyi is doing fine. He's rich. But he's a non-Christian. So you will never tell him about Jesus. Why? You think he's fine. Your definition, your view of the world is faulty. Jesus saw people that were harassed. Once again, this isn't a vacation. How then do you know that you're on vacation and not on mission? Let's help each other. How do you know that you're on vacation? That you're, right now, you're living your life, you're cruising and not on mission. There are three things that you can consider. One, what you long for. Two, what you plan for. Three, what, what categories, what, what you have categories for. Thank you. I'm thanking myself, actually. What you long for, what you plan for, what you have categories for. Let me say that again. What you long for, what you plan for, what you have categories for. One, what you long for. I'm going to go here. What do you daydream about? What consumes your thoughts? Banana Island? Probably getting to the UN? If in the past two weeks, no single thought of kingdom advancement has crossed your mind and captured you, you're on vacation. Why? Because on vacation, you don't take responsibility for anything. You, you forget your laptop at home. You remember? You don't think about it. Two, what you plan for. Is your plan for the kingdom of God even slightly, even slightly as detailed as your plan for your career? Let's start afresh. Do you have a plan for the kingdom? We say what you plan for, you, what you don't plan for, you will fail to do it, eh? And that's the reason why you're not doing anything about the kingdom. You don't plan for it. You're on vacation. The last one might sting a bit. What you have categories for. Mark chapter 6. Let's just see that thing again. What you have categories for. Let's read it. Mark chapter 6 from verse 8 to 10. Let me just read it from here so it can, so it can be quick. He charged them to take nothing. Sorry, I'm reading from the ESV. All right, let's use this. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belt. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Okay, good. Think about it. These commands were totally unnecessary. Like, this is, this is intentional discomfort. Like, why is Jesus pressuring them this way? What, what, what's the point? To what end? Here's the question. Do you have categories for discomfort? No, I'm coming home. Do you have categories for career stagnation for the sake of the kingdom? 
do you have categories for career regression policy? Not because of persecution, no. Because you want to do some things for the kingdom. Do you have categories for it? Let me land. I am not saying go ahead and do these things. I'm saying do you have categories for it? Why? Because when you're on holiday, the one thing you don't have categories for is discomfort. When you're on mission, however, discomfort is the rule. You welcome discomfort. If you're a soldier on an assignment, discomfort is the rule of the game. Do you have categories for this? If you don't, you're on vacation. I was talking to a friend of mine. And we're talking about how men want to see revival in Lagos, want to see the move of God and stuff like that. Where, you, know, you know when you're vibing with a Christian person, like, amen. And I said, I heard of this church in New York. They pray three hours every day, Monday to Friday, in New York. And she said, wow, that can happen in Lagos too. I said, ah, why now? She said, we are busy. I then said, now, don't take, it is an example, all right? I then said, hey, what's up? Have you considered taking a different career path that will probably earn you less so you can provide more time to pray for the kingdom of God? She said, nah, that's ridiculous. I said, exactly. We don't have categories for those. Why is that hard to imagine? Is the kingdom of God no more important than your kingdom? Why is that hard for you to think about? I'm not saying go ahead and do it. I'm saying, do you have categories for it? Can it happen? I'm landing the plane now. I'm just ending Sometime in December, um, I was spending time with God, and I, I believe the Spirit of God gave me an analogy. I was listening to Pastor Femi someone on Loving Lagos, the series. You should go ahead and listen to it if you haven't. It will, if, you, if you care about Lagos, listen to, that, listen to that series. And I was listening to it, and uh, Pastor Femi was preaching about from Jonah chapter 4. From Jonah chapter 4. And um, I want us to read something there. If you're not familiar with the story of Jonah, God sent Jonah to preach in Nineveh, and then he ran, to he ran to Tashish, right? Yeah. And then God sent a big fish to swallow him and send him back to Nineveh. And so eventually he preached. So this is what happens after he had preached. Jonah chapter 4, from verse 5 to 7. Jonah 4, 5 to 7. 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in his shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. God provided a plant to ease Jonah's discomfort. I don't think we're as wicked as Jonah and we want to see Lagos burn. No, I don't think we're like that. I don't think we're as wicked as Jonah too, that we want to see Nineveh burn. No, 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 no. I think we're a different breed. 
I think we get so obsessed with the plants while Nineveh is burning behind us. I think we get so concerned with the plants that God has given you to ease your discomfort. You begin to water it. You begin to take care of the plants. And Nineveh is burning behind you. And so, you will water the plant, take care of it. It gives you so much joy. Jonah was very happy. Jonah was glad. But Nineveh was going to burn. And guess what? The only time Jonah reacted to anything was when that thing that was meant to ease his discomfort was threatened. And so the only time when we will catch you praying so hard is when they deny you that promotion. Oh, it is when your child is misbehaving, when your own plant is being threatened, when your political figure, the one that you want to get to the place, doesn't get there. That is when you will get angry, when your plant is being threatened. Let's get to it, the idol of football. It is when your club doesn't win the cup. Ah, that is when you are depressed. I just can't do much work today. Eh? Because of plants. Isn't it a spiritual crime when you care more about the plants than you care about people? The plant of comfort that is here today and gone tomorrow. It becomes all that you are chasing and looking out for. We are more concerned about the plant than we are about the burning of Nineveh. I have a question for you as a roundup. Where is the generation that will say, I am ready to leave my place of comfort. I'm ready to get out of vacation. Where is the generation that will follow the footsteps of Jesus? Where the songwriter said, he didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. He didn't want heaven without you. So he left his home of discomfort. Came to your own life where you are harassed, full of, dis full of discomfort. To bring you back to his own place of comfort. Where is that generation? That we say like Jesus. I will leave my comfort and take upon the role of a man on a mission. Where is that generation? The world is calling out for that generation. Those set of people. And so in the text, we are told that Jesus told them, take on a staff. Take on a sandal. And don't take an extra shirt. Meaning take one shirt. Another version will say, take on a tunic. Think about it. Jesus told them, take on a staff. Take on a wood that is a staff. Take on a sandal. Take on a tunic. See, guys, where Jesus told them to take upon a wood that was a staff, he took upon a wood that was a cross. Where Jesus told them to wear sandals, he was barefooted and his legs were nailed to a tree. Where Jesus told them that take one tunic, he was naked upon the cross and they were casting lot about his own clothes. Jesus has not asked you to do anything he has not done worse. He has not asked you to do anything that he has not done way more for you. 
How are you going to respond to this? Where is the generation that is saying, I am going to embrace discomfort? I am going to embrace the discomfort and speak to that neighbor that I've not spoken to for one year. I am saying, stop. Where is that person, that generation, that will embrace the discomfort of no longer eating your food during lunch alone and going to sit with your, with your colleagues and talk to them? So maybe you will meet one person and you see a crack in their wall and you can go in with the gospel. Where is that generation? Where is the generation that will embrace the discomfort of saying, I am going to say no to social media and reduce my intake of this so I can spend more time praying? Where is that generation? Or are we just going to continue living on vacation while Nineveh burns? Are you going to continue to water your plants while Nineveh burns? Where is that generation that is saying, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you are going to call me because I am on mission for God. If you want to be part of that generation, would you rise on your feet? And let's talk to God. That he's saying, I want to embrace the discomfort. I want to embrace the discomfort. I am ready, Lord. I am ready, Lord. I am ready, Lord. I am ready. I am no longer spending so much time on my comfort. I am not living for this anymore. I want to be a person on mission. I am ready. There's a song that is playing in the background. If you don't have the words, because it's time for you to repent of ways you've taken the gifts that God has given you and you've gotten so happy with them and then everything is burning behind you. Maybe it's time to repent or you can sing the song that is playing in the background. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Trust me. God. In the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me. Discomfort, come on. I now have categories for discomfort. I am embracing whatever you bring my way. I'm embracing whatever you bring my way. No God, no God, no God to this level. No God to this comfort. In the name of
soldiers. Please, please make us people on mission. Please, please, Lord, we plead with you. We seem to be imprisoned by the, by, by, by the evil of comfort. We're in the prison of progress. We're in the prison of entertainment. We're in the prison of fun. But you, God, can break every chain. You can release us and set us free to proclaim your gospel. And so right now, oh God, we lift up our voices to you this morning and say, God, every hold of comfort, every hold of progress, every hold of entertainment in the name of Jesus. We ask that they are falling off in the name of Jesus. We live for you, Jesus. We live for you, Lord. catalyze a gospel-centered movement. Oh, through us, through our discomfort, you catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews the city of Lagos spiritually, socially, culturally. We ask all these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it rating this podcast and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City Church Lagos. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.